for my birthday a couple of years ago, my wife had a sign made. It's a small wooden sign with white lettering. And the sign says this, remember whose you are. And if you see it, the S and the E are in parentheses, so it's really reminding me of two things. Remember who you are, and remember whose you are. The sign now hangs above our front door so that whenever I remember to look up, I am reminded of who I am and whose I am each time I go out into the world. I need this sign because I forget really easily. I get distracted by to-do lists. I feel the pressure of expectations. I read the news and sometimes adopt a posture of fear. It sometimes feels like the world is eager to tell us who we are and we can make the mistake of listening. There is so much going on in our fast-paced world that I need a regular reminder to remember who I am and whose I am. Who am I? I am Lindsay, a beloved child of God. Whose am I? I belong to Christ. And in belonging to Christ, I belong to the family of Christ. Perhaps some people in the church in Corinth were forgetful like me. Perhaps you're a little forgetful like me too. Perhaps. As we dive into this letter from Paul to the church at Corinth, it seems clear that they were not functioning as one big happy family. The church at Corinth is a church that is deeply divided. Some say they belong to Paul. Some say they belong to Apollos. Some say they belong to Cephas. Some say they belong to Christ. They seem to be having some identity issues and some unity issues. It seems that they are focusing more on what separates them than on the unity that Christ and his cross has already created. We're not sure of where the party lines fell. We're not even sure exactly what the divisions were about, but we know that they were divided, each giving their allegiance to different leaders and different teachers. This is an old story, and as we look around, it's a familiar story at times. A few years ago, at a youth group that I was involved with, a student, a high school student, walked into a meeting one afternoon, and knowing this student quite well, it didn't take long to figure out that he had not had a good day at school. It was clear that he had had a very bad day at school. Now, bad days at school are usually about tests not going the way that we wanted them to, or teachers that we don't really see eye to eye with, or friend drama, so much friend drama. But in this day, none of these were the reasons that this student had a bad day. This day at school was bad for a different reason. A classmate had told this student that because he wasn't baptized 
in the same way as he was and by the same people as he was, that this student wasn't a real Christian. This is an awful thing for anyone to hear, but in some schools and even in our workplaces, it happens all too often. We spend our time with people who think like us and act like us, and we begin to believe that we are the only ones doing things the right way, that our way is the only way to be faithful. And we have to ask, is this quarreling and this judging of one another the faithful or Christ-like thing to do? Are our feelings of superiority more important than being in authentic relationship with our neighbors? When we think differently, or identify differently, we can quickly forget that our deepest belonging and our deepest identity is this. We belong to Christ. We are beloved children of God. Paul asks the rhetorical question, has Christ been divided? Of course, Christ has not been divided. Even when the church on global and national and local levels, looks divided, feels divided. Christ is never divided. All of us are baptized in the name of Christ and not in the name of any other person or institution. When we baptize people, we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We don't baptize them in the name of the PCUSA and the presbytery and the pastor. Thank God for that. We recognize that while this specific community is where we have been called to faithfully bear witness to Christ, we belong to Christ in a more lasting and profound way than we do any denomination or congregation. I love being a Presbyterian, I really do. My friends call me the church nerd, but God forbid that I ever put that identity above or before my identity as someone who belongs to Christ. Each time we baptize someone, we are reminded again of our own baptism. We are reminded that we belong to Christ and belong to one another. Each time we remember our baptism, we are called anew to die to ourselves and participate in the new life that God is working in us and in the world. In baptism, we identify with Christ because Christ has already identified with us. I think that one of the lies we believe is that where there is difference, there is division. Where there is difference, we can often think in binary ways, where one thing is clearly right and another thing is clearly wrong. In some cases, this is true, but most often things are not as clear cut. Presbyterian pastor and author Lytton Williams notes that in the Trinity, we learn that God contains difference within God's very self. Multiple persons, distinct yet entwined. 
somehow both one and three. In the mystery of the Trinity, we see that difference is not inherently bad. Difference is a good thing. It's how we steward that difference that often leads to problems. There were differences in the church at Corinth, and it seems to have led them to a kind of disunity. However, if we read on in this letter from Paul, while he laments division, he celebrates difference. Paul celebrates the different gifts he sees in the church and reminds the people that their unique makeups and giftings are for the common good, for the good of the community. And their unique giftings come from the same source, Christ. Without our God-given differences, I fear that we would simply make God into our own image. We would fall into the delusion that we have God all figured out. As it was in Corinth and as it is now, our differences have the potential to push us to tear down our self-made idols and to see Christ in new and perhaps more faithful ways. In addressing the different factions of the church at Corinth, Paul points them back to the cross of Christ. For Paul, the person of Christ and the story of the cross are the things that center and measure our experience and understandings about who God is and how God operates. Paul reminds us that the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross is indeed counterintuitive. It's a counterintuitive pattern. In the face of violence, Jesus was nonviolent. In the face of death, Jesus forgave. In his book, Taking the Cross to Youth Ministry, Dr. Andrew Root writes about the foolishness of the cross. Root proposes that the cross is not a logo, logo for personal motivation. It is a doorway to the very heart of God. The cross is God's very way of being and acting in the world. The cross reveals who God is, and that is what makes the cross foolish. Root continues, the cross is good news because God in the person of Jesus Christ has taken on nothingness, abandonment, and hell, and has made such realities the location of God's presence and God's action. It does seem foolish and counterintuitive that the places that we might label as God forsaken are the places with which God chooses to identify. And this foolishness, if seen through a different lens, Paul says, is the power of God. The power of God is not a power that dominates. It is a power that chooses to love in the face of the impossible. It is a power that chooses to enter our human reality so that we might be swept up into the reality of God. 
It's sadly ironic that here we are, almost 2,000 years later, still arguing over little details, who's in and who's out, arguing over labels, when we have the opportunity to carry forth the good news that through the cross, no one and nowhere is God forsaken. And if no one and nowhere is God forsaken, then we must ask, how might we be the signs and the means of God's presence, even in the difficult places of difference and disunity? We live in a world that seems to run on using difference to fuel fear and to stir up trouble. We are fed lies that tell us to just stick with people who are like us because it's safe there. However, we have the opportunity to offer a different narrative, a better narrative. As Pastor Chris might say, we have the opportunity to offer a more cross-shaped narrative. Where are the places that we can be in loving relationship with people who are different from us or with people with whom we disagree? And by loving relationship, I don't mean a relationship that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside, as nice as that is. By loving relationship, I mean doing the sometimes difficult work of seeking the other's flourishing in real and tangible ways. In the current political landscape, it seems like we have lost a great deal of our ability to love those with whom we disagree. How might we share good news by loving across divides? When we remember that we belong to Christ and find our identity and our security there, this enables us to love across divides with courage and commitment. We give thanks for the people in our congregation who have traveled to Nashville and Lebanon this week to encounter Christ in foreign places and to learn about the ways in which God is acting for the flourishing of the refugee communities here and abroad. We pray that our friends' presence might be a sign to those that they meet that they are not forgotten, that they are not forsaken by God, but that they are dear to the heart of God. And we pray that through their interactions, all communities represented, including our own community, might be transformed into a more cross-shaped community. I'm thankful for all of the opportunities this congregation has to participate with other local congregations for the sake of our wider community. It is a beautiful thing when we, while recognizing our different cultural and theological identities, come together to bring hope and healing to places that desperately need it. I'm thankful for the planning and love that has gone in to our upcoming Wednesday night series in partnership with Shorter Chapel AME Church, and I look forward to participating there. I'm thankful that this is a community that is willing to ask the question, how might God be calling us to prioritize holy relationships that we could just as easily walk away from? 
Because if we're being honest, staying in our own little bubble and feeling like we are doing everything the right way is a whole lot easier than entering into intentional relationships with children of God who experience the world differently from ourselves. Fostering cross-shaped relationships and cross-shaped community is hard and holy work. In order to do this hard and holy work of putting being in relationship above the comfort of being right, I'm going to bring us back to the sign that I mentioned earlier. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. You have a name. Maybe it's the one you were given at birth, or maybe it's one that you've picked up along the way. Whatever name you use, it's yours, and God knows you by name. Remember who you are. You. If it was practical, I would say all y'all's names right now. You are a unique and beloved child of God. Remember whose you are. You belong to Christ. And I belong to Christ. And we belong to Christ before we belong to anything or anyone else. So let us lean into our differences and share the good news because there's a whole world that needs to hear that it is beloved too. Amen.